Good morning and welcome again to Trinity. For those who are with us in person, those online, it is good and a, a joy and a privilege to be able to gather, gather together. Yesterday was a, a great day to gather together. We had our family fall festival that Carla Lorig and a team of people put together. Uh, Carla is our director of children's ministry. It was a beautiful day, a wonderful uh, time enjoying obstacle courses and crafts and games and chucking pumpkins across the field. I mean, it was a beautiful day for such a thing. And if you're feeling like you missed out on that, well, we have another beautiful opportunity for you later on Saturday, November 12th. We're going to have a fall cleanup. Maybe we won't necessarily be running obstacle courses, but we will give you tools uh, that you can help tackle and maybe chuck some things into the woods along with us. And so you adults who want to feel a little bit like a kid, you can, you can break stuff and throw stuff, and uh, that will happen on Saturday, uh, November 12th. So keep that in mind. Um, in the next couple of weeks, weather permitting, of course. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to essentially finish off the rest of this opening chapter. It's certainly layered. There's so much to it. We had to work carefully through it as we worked our way to the very end. We're going to read, uh, picking up in the verse that we ended last week, we're going to start in verse 19, sort of mid-thought. It's a uh, a mid-thought in terms of what Paul has been praying for the Ephesian churches. But we're going to read that last thought into then this cascade of incredible things that Paul, the writer of this letter, says about Jesus and his great power for us. So, starting again at verse 19 until the very end of chapter 1, verse 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Guys, we come to your word. We pray that you would be with us as we consider this great power for us through Jesus Christ. So would you be with the preaching and the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting of this, your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As a father of four sons, one who is about to leave the teenage years, as another one is about to enter them, um, I am thoroughly tapped out with superhero movies. I'm done. Can't anymore. Besides the fact that they're getting worse and less interesting, there is something sterile, something plastic, something unrelatable about them. There's no real risk to these characters. The consequences these superheroes face aren't really believable threats. They're stories. They're make-believe. But these stories are all sort of following the same thing. That there's some sort of redemptive or rescuing arc. That someone greater than us comes along to rescue us from a threat we had no chance of defeating. These stories, though sterile and plastic and not believable, are all borrowing from the one main story. 
Scripture tells the one main story, but, but in a way that brings to bear the threat and the risk of it all. And in this story, we do have a hero that comes to rescue us with a power greater than our threat. And he came into our humanity with great vulnerability as a baby. And he took on our threat all the way to his death. All the way to the grave. And yet was raised to life again with a power greater than the clutches of the tomb. This is compelling. And this great power is a great power for us. It is a great power at work in us. It is a great power that my hope for us as we wrestle with it today brings timely encouragement to us, to our faith, to our living out of our faith. That something greater has come. Greater than all of the consequences of our sin. Greater than death, the grave. Greater than all evil. Greater than Satan. And this great power is for us. His great power is on display through Jesus. And his great power for us is just that. First, it is displayed in Christ. We're going to take time to really wrestle and consider that this morning. But it's displayed in Christ. And then from the passage, we see his great power for us is not just displayed in Christ, but fills the church. It fills his people, the church. And then by considering how it's displayed in Christ and how it fills the church, my hope is that it in turn strengthens our faith. Right now, our faith. So let's work through that. There's a lot to consider. Let's move through this with pace. First of all, displayed in Christ. There are three things that we find here displayed in Christ. The first is it's displayed in that he is resurrected. He is resurrected, the very beginning of verse 20. That he, this great power for us, that he worked in Christ when he Raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ says that death is defeated. We sang that multiple times this morning. I'm so thankful for those lyrics and those thoughts to enter in our minds as we're worshiping God. Because it's helping us see that what Christ has done is he defeated death. It's the high point or the center mark of God's redemptive purpose. Jesus conquered sin, conquered death, conquered Satan. What kind of great power are we talking about that's for us? The resurrecting great kind of power. In Acts 2.24, incredible sermon says that God raised him, Christ, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him down. The resurrection of Christ says death is defeated. The resurrection of Jesus is the validating ticket that says the cross of Jesus is paid in full. How do you know that the cross accomplishes what it set out to accomplish? Jesus rose again. It says all that there was paid on the cross has been validated. It is foundational, this resurrection. This resurrection power is foundational for us. Makes me think of the passage in 1 Corinthians 15. And we find 
first of all, that this resurrection of Jesus is foundational to the very gospel itself. It's foundational to the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that the Christ that Christ died for our sins accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This is foundational to the gospel. It is also from this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, this resurrection power is foundational to our faith. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It it is the validating stamp that says the cross paid it in full. And thirdly, not only is it foundational to the gospel message itself, not only is it foundational to our faith, it is foundational to our future. What we have to anticipate, what we get to look forward to. Verses 21 and 22, For as by a man came death, that's Adam in the Garden of Eden, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This resurrected resurrected power that's for us and at work in us is foundational to the good news, foundational to our faith, foundational to our future. It is displayed in Christ. It means everything to us. Resurrected power. Then we find that it is also not just resurrected power, but it keeps coming up. It's exalted power. Christ is exalted. Look at the rest of verse 20. So not only um, was he raised from the dead, but now and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Exaltation says that Christ is over all. He is over all. And this seated at the right hand, this picture that that Paul is giving us in Ephesians 1, it's like royal enthronement. And it's often after a great victory. It is a, a joyous and celebratory seated at the right hand. In the Old Testament, there was a moment where in 1 Kings 1, 45 and 46, where there is such a roar at the royal enthronement of Solomon. It says, And they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Even greater than that is Christ, seated in the heavenlies, victorious over sin, death, the grave, Satan, evil, history, everything. And the roar is so great, it fills the heavens. That exalted power is a power that is for us, to us, toward us. Folks, this is remarkable. This is remarkable. God didn't just like pluck us up out of a pit, pat us on the head, dust us off and say, I'm way over here, you know, don't do that again. Hope you see you at the end. It's a power that is for us all the way, through it all, in it all. This power is power greater than the grave. It's greater than all of the cosmos and everything in between. 
He's seated in the heavens at the right hand. And that signifies two very important things. The work is completed. It signifies first that the work is completed. That there is nothing yet to accomplish in God's redemptive plan. Jesus did it all. There's nothing left in terms of God's purpose for our redemption because Christ did it all. He can sit down with the work completed. Hebrews 1.3 says, After making purification for sins, essentially after the cross and the grave, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The work for our redemption is complete. Secondly, seated in the heavens at the right hand signifies not only the work is completed, but Jesus is now reigning over all things. All things. Jesus is over it all. He is over the heavens and the earth. He's over the cosmos. He's over history. He's over eternity. He's over it all. Psalm 110 verse 1, which is often referenced in the New Testament and attributed to Jesus, says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He is over all things. He is exalted to the highest. And that power that raised him from the grave and exalted him to the highest place in all of everything everywhere is the same power that is for us, to us. Toward us. In us. It's remarkable. It's displayed in Christ. In his resurrection. In his exaltation. And it's displayed in Christ also. Just ultimately. It is ultimate. In every possible way. Look at verses 21 and 22. He's far above all. Rule and authority and power and dominion. Above every name that is named. And not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus' resurrection and exaltation show that he has ultimate victory over sin, death, Satan. And his ultimate victory reverberates throughout all of time, all of space, all of history. First of all, it says that he's far above all. And then lists a fourfold description of the seen and unseen Big scope authorities. Rule, authority, power, dominion. Jesus is above all of those things. Those things, rule, authority, power, and dominion, they make us feel very, very small. It's a very big world. There are opposing evil forces. There's the whole system of man that is against God. And all of that feels overwhelming to us when we think about it in comparison to ourselves. To our very little lives in in this place, in this time, in this space. And yet, greater than them is Christ. He is over all of them. He is ultimate and victorious over them all. He's also over every name and every age. There is no one, no system, no human development in any era of human history that is greater than King Jesus. He is above it all. He is ultimate over it all. As if that wasn't conclusive enough, we see that he is over all things. That there is nothing outside his ultimate victorious 
reign and rule. I've said it already many times, but to reinforce it, time, space, history, life, death, good, evil, all of it is subjugated to Christ's rule. All of it is under him. That's kind of a big deal. That's a pretty significant amount of power to be able to hold all things underneath. That power is for you and to you and toward you and in you. It's amazing. It's incredible. This power as displayed in Jesus' resurrection, exaltation, and ultimate victory is the same power at work in you. This is actively, that is, active, ongoing, is encouraging to the church. Bringing about courage to the church. We live out our lives feeling powerless. We live out our lives feeling small and insignificant. We live out our lives feeling nameless and faceless. And we think very little of ourselves at times or think very sort of insignificantly about God. And yet here, this incredible power that brought Jesus up from the grave and exalts him to the highest place and puts everything under his victorious reign is the same power for us, in us, through us. We need to be encouraged by this. We need to be comforted and strengthened. We need the full scope of what encouragement means when we consider such great power to us and for us and toward us. Think of 1 John 4.4. 4. Remind your hearts of this right now even. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Or John 16.33 when Jesus says, Take heart. I have overcome the world. This is displayed in Christ, this great power for us. It is displayed in Christ, it is in Christ, and it is for us, it is to us, it is toward us, it is in us, it is through us. That is how comprehensive God cares for his people. We need to be encouraged by such truth. And we need to know and see here that this power that is displayed through Christ then fills the church. Fills the church. First, we find that the church is those who believe. Those who believe. So we started with verse 19. Let's go back to that again. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. Fills the church, that is, those who believe. The church is made up of those who believe in Jesus, who receive the gospel through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Say, in Christ is my salvation, and in Christ alone. Now, a couple of distinctions. One, a church will always be filled with those who believe, those who pretend, those who are curious, those who are not, and so on and so forth. A church will be filled with the whole spectrum of the human experience. But the church, the church, will be filled with those who believe. God's people responding to God's gospel, trusting in God's Savior. Those who believe. 
So while I make that distinction, I recognize that in this room is a church. And in this room could be those who believe, those who pretend, those who are curious, those who are not. So I want to say and plead this morning to not plug up your ears, harden your heart to the call of God's good news, of his great power for us in the person and work of Christ. Jesus said himself at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, he said these words in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We know that in Acts, we get this encouragement from Acts 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In Romans 10 we're encouraged and instructed with this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a call to be among those who believe. Who believe. I don't know necessarily where your heart might be when the issue of all that God has done for our salvation in the personal work of Christ, but I implore you to hear, to receive, to believe. Nothing in your life is more significant. Either, either God purposed, accomplished, and applied so great a redemption by his gracious power for us, or he did not. Scripture says, believe calls us to believe. There's no middle ground, so will you now believe? This incredible great power is for us, and the us is those who believe. And it fills the church. And we understand here in other parts of the New Testament and in a very important word picture for the church, we see that when he fills the church, he fills his body Look at second part of verse 22 and in the beginning of verse 23. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Think about that imagery. Body. To be united to Christ means to be alive together with him. Four times in the letter, the church is referenced as the body of Christ. It's a significant metaphor, and it conveys a couple of things that are important for us. To believe in Christ is then to be united to Christ. This means what Christ has done counts for our lives, counts for the church. So what Christ has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his reign, in his rule, in one day's return, counts for us as if we did it. It's a remarkable thing. To be united to him. So that means we live, we die, we rise, we reign with Christ. That's what we belong to. That's this great power for us and toward us. Later in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 it says this. About 
our lives and those who believe. It says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As if we overcame death and as if we are seated with, seated with great victory. As if we did it, but we didn't. Christ did. We're trusting Christ and yet what Christ has done is now counted for us. Fills his body. We're united to Christ. Secondly, we are also alive together with Christ. If a head and body are separated, it's no longer alive. That's just sort of pretty basic. <laughs> I wouldn't say go figure that out. Just trust me on that. In Christ is life and life to the full. Again, in Ephesians 2, he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, by his Rich mercy made us alive together with him. This is an incredible work that God is doing in us. He has united us to Christ. And what Christ has done, he has given to us as if we have done it. Christ fills the church. And he fills it, his body, to the full. We're filled full. Look at verse, the last words of verse 23. The fullness of him who fills all in all. That is, in Christ we lack no thing. We are not left wanting or wondering. He fills us full. First of all, as we've already considered, uh, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. At the very beginning of Ephesians 1 and verse 3, it says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We lack nothing. Because when you have Christ, you have the fullness of God. Because Christ himself is the fullness of God in the flesh. Second person of the Trinity entered into our humanity to take on our penalty in order to give us eternity with him. In Colossians 1, a companion letter, if you will, to Ephesians, it says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You lack nothing in Christ. Because in Christ is the fullness of God. And in Christ's fullness comes to us grace upon grace. The grace of God in Christ never diminishes. We always have enough no matter what. No matter what we face. No matter the scope of our own mistakes. There's always grace upon grace in the fullness of Christ. John 1.16 says, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Nowhere else will you get such undiminishing grace than you get in the personal work of Christ. He fills us full. This is the power, His great power toward you, to you, for you. Resurrected power, exalted power, ultimately victorious power. Fill you up full power. You lack nothing in Christ. And as we consider these things, as we wrestle with this, and as we wrestle with this in our experience in life, it's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Sometimes the actions of others hurt us deeply. And sometimes life's just hard. 
And we need to be reminded again and again of that which is at work in us is far greater than that what we will experience in this life. And as we do that, it is to strengthen our faith. As we consider these things, it's not just to give us head knowledge about what God has done in history through Jesus, but it's actually to strengthen our faith. As I think through this, there are a few ways that I think it can strengthen our faith. When we think of that resurrection power greater than death, what is more intimidating than the idea of death, our death? And so in response to that, how does this truth, this great power for us, strengthen our faith? Well, it's, it's the call for us to say to ourselves, fear not. Fear not. In light of, of this great power for us, especially the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, fear not. Do not be afraid. Or something like that is the most commonly repeated command in Scripture. Some would say that there are even 365 times or so in Scripture. So you could give yourself a daily reminder to not be afraid, to fear not. Not be afraid. The most common command in the Bible is not to live better. It's not don't be an idiot. It's not stop breaking the law. It's not get your life right. It's fear not. Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's saying this to his people. How does he do it? Well, we just read it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23 shows us the power and the grace of Christ. Shows us that this great power for us in Christ is the power that says that we do not need to be afraid. It says that God will strengthen us and help us and uphold us. In light of what we've considered and what we have in Christ, do not fear that which overwhelms you. Your sin, your death, this world, evil, all of those things together are still not greater than Christ. So comfort and encourage your hearts to fear not for this great power that is for us. Secondly, as I think about how in the world this can strengthen our faith and think of Christ exalted in the highest place in the heavenly, seated, there's no more work to be done. There's no enemy to subdue. Christ has done it all. The encouragement that I think that would be really relevant for us and to strengthen our faith is that we would rest in him. That we would not fear and then we would rest in. Rest in Christ. There is Nothing left for you to face. No amount of law keeping. No bootstraps to pull up. Christ has done it all. Resting in means trusting in the person and work of Christ. And rejoicing that he is indeed sufficient for your salvation. You don't have to add anything to it. Christ didn't do 97% and you have to do the remaining three. He took it all. On and he paid it in full. 
Rest in that. Resting in also means beholding with wonder and worship at the gracious power and powerful grace of your redeeming King. Think of the uproar in Solomon's day. Now amplify that by the heavenlies. And that's the uproar of joy and celebration around the King is defeated and conquered every enemy of our soul. Rest in that and rejoice. Behold that with wonder and worship. That will strengthen your faith. There's a lot of things in this life that will discourage you. Dismay you even. But behold your King. Who lived and died and lives again. Who reigns and rules and one day returns. Rest in Him. Rejoice with wonder and worship. You'll find your faith strengthened. And then thirdly, fear not, rest in. And then when you consider this passage in Ephesians 1, keep going. Keep going. If Christ is ultimate in his power, authority, and victory, then the more we know him and the more we behold him and the more we worship him, the more our lives are transformed and empowered to live for him. I love Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Gives us some guidance on how this shows up in our lives, how we can keep going. Keep going in the face of all sorts of difficulties and challenges and struggles. Keep going in the face of our own sin and our own waywardness. Keep going in the the face of our own weariness and tiredness in this life. Keep going because we're beholding something great and glorious in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That passage really is helping us see the application of what we considered in Ephesians 1. This is Christ. He is risen over the grave. He is reigning over all things. He will one day return. This great power is at work in you. So, in light of that, Colossians 3 says, Seek the things that are above. Treat them as the most important. They're going to be the guiding posts for your life. Follow after these things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above. Seek and set. Live as if Jesus is worthy. And don't lose sight of Christ. There will be much in this life, much in this world, to distract or discourage or dissuade. And so be a church family that keeps this this Christ, this great power at work for us in view. Let us keep going. In Christ, you have all you need in this life. You have all you need at your death. Do not fear the world or the evil you face or the embrace of your death. Rest in the Redeemer who reigns and rules in victory and keep going, knowing that the great power that is for us is the great power in us and will lead us all the way home.
Let's pray. God, we certainly ask that you would press that on our hearts, no matter what age or situation of life we might be in, that we would see that your great power for us in Christ is far greater than anything we will face and experience in this life. That would bring us a timely encouragement to the heart, to our faith. That we will not fear, but rather rest in you and find the strength to keep going. God, you're so good and kind to us. You have provided for us in every possible way, in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have poured out on your people. What grace, and I pray that our hearts would rejoice all the more. In Jesus' name, amen.